Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for this time when I was in high school, we did this experiment. The teacher put us in pairs, went outside, we got between the school buildings. The person I was with, I had to put a blindfold on them and make them walk wherever I told them to. They had to listen to my commands. And I said, well, walk this way 10 more paces, then turn right and whatever. So there was a classroom that was close by and the windows of the classroom was close. And I had him walk right up to that classroom, (laughs) right up to those windows. And there were students on the other side of the glass that knew him, and they were wondering, what is he doing? He walked up with a blindfold, and he couldn't see. Okay. I don't know why I did that to him. I guess I was just being funny or whatever, but uh, they they were on the other side laughing at him. And just, I don't know why we did the experiment like that in the first place, but whatever. He would have never walked up to that window like that if he wasn't blind. It was because I led him there that he went there. But had he known where he was going, he would have never walked over there. Okay, so you can do a lot through blindness. There's things that you can do when you employ blindness. And so here in Second Kings 6, the Lord is going to employ some extreme techniques through blindness to lead some people to new places where they would never go on their own. 2 Kings 6, verse 8, about the blinded Syrians that were captured. Now the king of Syria was making war against Israel, and he consulted with his servants, saying, My camp will be in such and such a place. And the man of God sent to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are coming down there. Then the king of Israel sent someone to the place of which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him. And he was watchful there, not just once or twice. Okay, this is King Ben-Hadad of Syria here. He often picked fights with Israel. If you remember, that's one of the reasons why King Jehoram got so upset back when Naaman was sent to Israel. He was sent by King Ben-Hadad to be healed of his leprosy back in chapter 5. King Jehoram of Israel thought it was some kind of a trick another fight because Ben-Hadad had always fought with Israel all the time. Now, here he is at it again in chapter 6. And so with Ben-Hadad always trying to raid and steal from Israel, the Lord God of Israel was always working to protect Israel, just as he still does today. And so Ben-Hadad was going to make raids against Israel. So the Lord continued to work to mess up Ben-Hadad's battle plans before he can even execute them. So Elisha would always tell King Jehoram of Israel about it. Whenever Ben-Hadad was getting ready to come in and attack, Elisha would let the king of Israel know. And so Jehoram put a scout out over the area that Elisha warned him about, only to find out that Elisha's warnings were true. 
that King Ben-Hadad was making maneuvers exactly where Elisha said he was so that he could set up to counter this. Now, they caught Ben-Hadad attempting to make raids, not just once, it said, as we read, but several times. And so the Lord continually gave Jehoram the upper hand in Israel's defense strategies. Ben-Hadad can't set anything up to work at all. <laughs> Second Kings 6.11 Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing, and he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. So he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and get him. And it was told him, saying, Surely he is in Dothan. Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. <laughs> okay. You'd think that Ben-Hadad would have had a sense of appreciation here for Elisha, since he had healed his best general of leprosy, that guy Naaman back in chapter 5. But no, he's going to be ignorant enough to try to go take down God's man, Elisha, somehow not realizing that if Elisha could sniff out all of his military moves, if, if Elisha could hear what he whispers in his own bedroom, <laughs> then how could he expect to get this guy? <laughs> he knows every move he makes. Okay, let's send a big army to go get him. Well, don't you think he's going to know that too? <laughs> you know, guys, Ben Hadad's mindset here was that as long as Elisha lived, then his army would never be successful. He would never get to steal from Israel. So Ben-Hadad was driven by greed to steal more, to have more, to get more, and Elisha alone stood in his way of getting whatever he wanted. Now, what I find amazing here is how Ben-Hadad sent a great army, it says, a whole army, just to get one guy. <laughs> Look at the, how tipped over the scale is, a whole army for one dude. Now, we're not given a number of how big this army was, but since the text says it was a great army, then I could safely assume it was in the hundreds, if not thousands of men, just to get one man, Elisha, crazy. Now, this big move here on Ben-Hadad's part, that demonstrates Ben-Hadad's lack of faith and certainly demonstrates a lack of understanding of who the Lord God of Israel is and what the Lord is capable of doing. You'd think he would understand by now every move he makes. He tells Elisha, Elisha tells the king, why does he think he can do this? I don't know. Anyway, the flip side of the coin here is that Ben-Hadad apparently needed to be convinced that Yahweh God is the one and only true and living God. Second Kings 6 and 15, and when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. 
Wow, I would have loved to have seen this view. Imagine a whole mountainside with flaming chariots and horses all over it, just all over the place. What a picture that must have been. So let's consider this. Elisha's servant was afraid of this big, big threat. And so the purpose of these horses and chariots of fire suddenly becoming visible to him was to eliminate the fear of Elisha's servant. So what does fire, horses, and chariots represent? What is this? What was going on? Well, first off, chariots and horses, they were top-of-the-line weaponry that was available back in that day. It'd kind of be like today's modern-day uh, F-22 jet fighter, okay? this They were fast, they were dangerous, and they were deadly. And so the fact that these horses and chariots were on fire meant that they were heavenly beings as the fire spoke of God's glory. Now, let's think back when Elijah was taken up into heaven. It says a chariot of fire appeared with horses to take Elijah up. So at that time, Elisha, his his servant at the time, he needed to see all this to build up his confidence. He was struggling with the whole thing. Remember, there was friends were saying, hey, don't you know that Elijah is going to be taken today? He says, I, I know, don't talk about it. He couldn't deal with it. He needed this to boost his confidence. So now it was Elisha's servant's turn to be assured as well, because he was afraid of this big threat. But then he saw that God's army was superior to the army of Ben-Hadad. What an encouragement to have at that time. I think, though, we should realize that just because the servant could not see them, that doesn't mean they weren't there. They were always there. The horses and chariots were always there. They had only just become visible when Elisha prayed. We need to remember that sort of thing in our own life. Now, Elisha was not afraid because he had the ability to see these horses and chariots the entire time. Now, friends, this story should help us remember that God has his angels and his armies all around us so that there's no reason to be afraid of all those big threats that are out there to get us. God has his armies, too, and they're greater than all the threats we see. And friends, we just need to remember that they are always there. 2 Kings 6.18 So when the Syrians came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Strike this people, I pray, with blindness. And he struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. Now Elisha said to them, This is not the way, nor is this the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. But he led them to Samaria. <laughs> okay, try to get the scene with me here. Hundreds of guys all just went blind at the same time, and they're probably freaking out. I can't see. What can we do? They're going to die if nobody helps them because they can't see anything. They don't know where to get water. They don't know where to get food. So Elisha felt, okay, I'm just going to walk right up to these guys and talk to them. Elisha, these guys are about to kill you. And Elisha's like, okay, they can't see, so I'm going in. <laughs> I'm going to go talk to him. I'm going to walk right up and talk to him. <laughs> wow. Can you imagine what this must have been like? They're in total darkness. They can't see. Elisha went up to tell him, hey, guess what? You're in the wrong town. But I'll take you to the place where the guy is that you're looking for. Okay? I'll uh, Just follow me. Yep. Hello, this way. Come on. Follow my voice. Turn around. Come on. Let's go. And he led all these guys that can't see. Friends, are you catching how powerful God is? This is amazing. And so this had just set up the perfect strategy for just one man, Elisha, for one man to move the threat of death somewhere else 
without a single fight. Second Kings 6 verse 20. So it was when they had come to Samaria that Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes and they saw and there they were inside Samaria. (laughs) Okay, friends, what just happened here is that Elisha moved this blind army into a different region to another place that was controlled by the king of Israel. He took them to Samaria. That was Israeli-controlled, Israelite-controlled. He moved them to another place that was controlled by the king of Israel. The game has now changed. So what do you think they saw when their sight came back? They saw new scenery. They saw a place where they had never been before, a place where they were not the ones who were in control. 2 Kings 6 and 21. Now, when the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, My father, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? But he answered, You shall not kill them. Would you kill those whom you have taken captive with your sword and your bow? Set food and water before them, that they may eat and drink and go to their master. Then he prepared a great feast for them, and after they ate and drank, he sent them away, and they went to their master. So the bands of Syrian raiders came no more into the land of Israel. All right, check this out. The king of Israel had the opportunity to wipe them all out. After all, they were proven enemies that had been hostile against Israel for a long time. They had made a bunch of raids, okay? The king of Israel would have been totally justified to execute every last one of them. But Elisha, get this, Elisha stepped in. He intervened. He got in between. Why? To show them mercy. But why show them mercy? Elisha explained to the king that he would have had the right to kill them if he had captured them in battle with his weaponry. But these guys were not captured in battle. They were led there. They were led there blind. So Elisha said, you can't kill them under these circumstances. You did not capture them by force. They were led here. And so, because of that, you have to show them mercy. And so, to demonstrate this mercy, the once hostile enemy ate and drank at the expense of their former enemy, the king of Israel. And so, it's obvious that they had genuinely changed from this experience. They truly understood that they had been spared from destruction. And so, that change produced itself outwardly in the fact that they never attacked Israel again. They were no longer enemies anymore. What a nice end. I mean, th- this is good. You had some guys that could have gone to, it could have gone a bad way, but it didn't. They were shown mercy. That's that's the Bible for you, isn't it? That's the Lord. Well, let's break this all down to what it means for us because people say that the Bible's not relevant anymore. Well, it is. I'm going to show you how. First off, Ben Hadad, that guy was so blind. He couldn't understand who the God of Israel was or what the Lord God was capable of doing to him for all of his continual aggression. The Lord could have wiped him out and it would have been okay. It would have been right because he was an enemy of Israel. But friends, the picture here is that this is how all of us used to be at one time. We were all hostile enemies of the Lord in the lostness of our sin. We had no clue of all the things that God could do to us for our sin. And so just like Ben-Hadad, we needed to be convinced that Yahweh 
is the one and only true and living God. Now, Ben-Hadad, he repeatedly raided Israel many, many times over. Hey, if anybody attacked your house and stole from you, you'd get pretty mad at them, right? Okay? Ben-Hadad did this to Israel. And guys, this is a picture of all of us. We have all, in our sinful lives, we have all attacked the Lord. We've all shook our fist at him and came in and raided and tried to take for what we ever wanted for ourselves. Many times over, every last one of us have done this. We are all proven enemies of the Lord God with a long track record of hostility. James 4 verse 4 says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Enmity means we were all once hostile against the Lord. And just like Ben-Hadad's army, there have been multiple times when we all positioned ourselves to launch attacks against the Lord in some kind of way. But why did we do this? Well, for the same reason why Ben-Hadad tried to attack Elisha. Because as long as Elisha was around, then Ben-Hadad was never successful at raiding and taking whatever he wanted. So get this. Now, lost people don't love God. They love the world, and they always want more of it. They want their way. They want to take what they want. And as long as Jesus is around, they'll never be able to take whatever they want for themselves. And friends, this is why the lost, this is why they hate Jesus so much, and and those that preach Jesus to them in repentance, because Jesus won't let them be successful in their sin. This is why these people hate us, because we represent their inability to take what they want to have. And, you know, but thankfully, you know, I think about my former life in this, and thankfully, even while we were staging all of our hateful attacks, God did a great work for us. Romans 5 verse 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, Jesus didn't say, hey, straighten up your life, and then I'll die for you. No, he died for us first already. He's already done it. And all we have to do is believe on him. I mean, he went ahead and did that. Friend, would you be able to do that for a messed up guy that always stole from you and always hated you to die for a guy like that? Well, Jesus did that for us. Now, Elisha, he could have called fire down on Ben-Hadad's army and rightfully judged them away with wrath, okay, but he didn't. Elisha took an alternative action. Friends, God could have called fire down on you and me, and judged us away with wrath too. But instead, he took an alternative answer by sending Jesus to die for our sin. So Elisha called blindness to strike this army instead of fire. That was a merciful act. He called blindness on them so that he could lead them somewhere else. You know, Elisha led them somewhere where they would have never gone on their own, but he had to do it through blindness. He led them. Jesus said in John 6, verse 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Thank you, Lord God, that you led us all to Jesus Christ. Even in our blindness, even while we were still sinners, he led us to Jesus Christ. Now, if Ben-Hadad's army had come to the region of Samaria in any other way, to the region of Israel in any other way. They could have been rightfully destroyed because they would have been there to fight. They would have been there for war. And for fire to come down and wipe them out, that would have been completely justified. And so for King Jehoram to wipe them out would have been completely justified. 
Now, remember, Elisha told the king, you can't kill them because you didn't catch them in battle. They were led here blind. You can't kill them when they were led here like that. Friends, it was in our own blindness that we were led, we were drawn to Jesus Christ. And you know, this is an odd perspective here, but I'm actually thankful for the spiritual blindness of lost people. Yes, it's frustrating to watch lost people make crazy decisions and do bad things in their blindness, but I'm thankful for it. Let me explain. If Ben Hadad's army had been able to see where they were being led, then they would have turned and run back home. They would have never gone there. It was through blindness that they got there. They would have never arrived before Jehoram, the king of Israel, if they had not been blind. Isaiah 42, verse 16 says, I will bring the blind by a way they did not know. I will lead them in paths they have not known. I will make darkness light before them and crooked places straight. These things I will do for them and not forsake them. While this passage here is specifically speaking about the people of Israel, who today, most of Israel is blinded to the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. In fact, they're very hostile against Jesus because they're even making things difficult for those who live there in Israel that proclaim Jesus as the Messiah. They're making it very hard for people to live there and make that proclamation that Jesus is Lord. This blindness is very frustrating. But I want us to consider Ben-Hadad's army, how hostile they were, but yet they were saved through their blindness. It was because of their blindness that they were led there that they were spared. Their rejection of Jehoram, the king of Israel, was so severe that blindness was the only way that they could have been led by Elisha to arrive before the king of Israel. It's kind of like that student that I led blindfolded up to that classroom that classroom window, every time I think about it, I can just see the look on his face when I said, hey, take the blindfold off. And he took the blindfold off and he realized, oh my gosh, I'm staring at a bunch of my friends on the other side of that glass. I'll never forget it. But if I hadn't led him there blind, he would have never walked up to that. He would have never done that. He had to walk up there blind to do it. Friends, without being blinded, Ben Hadad's army would have never come to the king of Israel on their own except to fight. They had to be brought there through blindness. Romans 11.25 says, Blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and so all Israel will be saved. Amen. That's great. Right now, during this time of the Gentiles, it's called, it's a time when Gentiles, non-Jews, it's a time when Gentiles are to provoke the Jews to jealousy. How do we do that? We get to say, hey, I have your Messiah, Jesus, as my Savior. They don't believe Jesus is the Messiah, most of them, most of them. There's a lot of, there's a lot of Jews that do, okay? Now, I've shared the gospel with Jews who got mad at me for saying that I have their Messiah. There's this woman I remember in a, on an airline flight. She was next to me, and I thought, well, I'm going to share the gospel with her. And it turns out she was Jewish, and I didn't know it. She got so mad at me. She said things like, well, the Bible is our book. That's not yours. You're not entitled to have that book. Who are you? Thank you for listening to Set for Life. 
We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.